Let me introduce our next speaker. We're very pleased to have Cassidy Anderson. Doesn't that sound like a Minnesota name? <laughs> and from the fire department, the local fire department. And um, she's going to talk to us about emergency preparedness. So thank you, Cassidy. Everyone welcome her. Okay, can everybody hear me? Okay, good. <clears throat> okay, so my name is Cassidy Anderson. I work for Minneapolis Fire Department. Um, a little bit about me, I've been with the department for about 18 years. And um, my first six years were spent on the fire trucks as a firefighter EMT. And then when my son was born, I chose to take a more of an office job <laughs> so I could be home with him at night because most firefighters, especially in the big urban cities, work 24-hour shifts. And so I started this job doing prevention and outreach for the community, talking about fire safety, fire prevention, emergency preparedness planning, and those types of things. And so that's what I've been doing for the last decade or more. And so that's what I'm here to talk about today, and that is to talk about basic home fire safety, for you and your service dogs um, and your families, um, emergency preparedness planning, which is something most of us don't think too much about, right, until uh, the emergency happens, and then sometimes we're caught either being unprepared or not knowing what to do. So hopefully um, throughout this discussion, um, you'll come away with hopefully something a little bit extra, whether it be some pieces of information that'll help you at home, maybe ideas for resources, no matter where you live. And I understand you guys are from all over the country. Um, and so my message today is kind of universal. It doesn't matter where you live. Although, as you know, depending on where you live in the United States or beyond, is anybody here from outside the United States? Okay, where are you from? Okay, um, ich spreche Deutsch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, n no matter where you live, uh, anyone else from outside the country? I thought I saw another hand. No? Okay. Um, so, depending on where you live, um, the emergencies might be a little bit different. As you know, we don't get a ton of flooding here in the Midwest. We get tornadoes and snowstorms and maybe heat-related emergencies. Um, whereas out west, you're going to get your um, earthquakes and things. Out down south, you're going to have more flood uh, flood-prone zones. Um, so depending on where you live, you know, the emergencies can be a little bit different. But overall, the planning and what we need to plan for the emergencies is about the same. So um, if anyone has any questions during the talk, please raise your hand. Um, I don't want you to have to try to remember a question at the end of an hour or more. Um, so we'll try to get your questions answered right away. Um, and then we'll go from there. So um, another just uh, preface is I'm going to send links to some of the topics that I'm talking about today to Lillian, and then those will be available on uh, the website, I believe, correct, Lillian? Yep. Um, so uh, links to various resources that you can access um, when you get home, okay? Um, so to start out with, my, uh, my main job with uh, the City of Minneapolis Fire Department is talking about fire safety and prevention, Okay. The risks for home fires are the same, whether you're sighted or not, or not sighted, okay? Whether you're young or old, uh, whether you live in an apartment or a single family home, the risks are the same. And I wanna kind of cue you guys so this is a little bit interactive so you're not just listening to me, but maybe you can give me some feedback on what you know about home fire safety. Um, and that is, what do you think are the top causes of home fires in the United States? Who, who said cooking? Raise your hand if you think it's cooking, okay? Okay, raise your hand if you think it's smoking. All right, hands down. What were, what were some other answers? Okay, Elec electrical wires, dryer fires. Did anyone say candles? Candles, okay. Um, any other ideas what they might be? Smoking, okay. Dryer fires, all right. Lightning, okay. Okay, out of all of the things that we mentioned, the only one that's not preventable is lightning, right? We can't really control Mother Nature, right? Exactly. 
but you guys are right on. You know a lot already. The common, you've listed all the common causes of house fires. The number one is cooking, okay? The number one cause is cooking, and cooking fires actually account for half or 50% of house fires in the United States. Do you think those are preventable? They absolutely are. Now, I did a little research before coming and talking with this group today because whenever I talk to a new demographic, and I've never had the privilege of talking to a large group of blind and visually impaired um, folks before, so I'm really, really very privileged, feel privileged to be here today. And so I did a little research to see if there are any specific risk factors or concerns when it comes to the blind and visually impaired at home when it comes to fire safety risk. And the answer is, not really. The risks are about the same. However, and you all already know this, of course, but what I learned is that, for example, when it comes to cooking or stovetop fires, some of the risks are, and these are true of other folks too, but especially when we're not able to see or have limited vision, wearing, for example, loose clothing or loose sleeves, can you imagine, are, are a little bit more of a risk, all right? If a fire starts in the pan, you may not be able to see it as quickly or recognize it um, as quickly, right, or recognize that something's going on. And you are already familiar with these nuances where someone like myself who is sighted um, <clears throat> takes this for granted, right, or is... Uh, so, anyways, cooking is number one. And it's not that the stove or the oven is unsafe, right? Um, we say... Um, keep, you know, watch what you're doing. And again, I'm using words that we take advantage of as visually sighted folks. So I can, most of the time I go out and I say, look when you cook or keep an eye on what you fry. These are the, right, or stand by your pan, right? So, <laughs> so now most of these, two of the three phrases are more applicable to, uh, to the sighted, right? Um, but stand by your pan, you know, be mindful of what you're doing. It's not the stove or the oven that's the problem. So I can list all these statistics. For example, stove fires are the number are the number one cause, causing 50% of home fires, and candles and electrical wires and dryer vents and all these things. When the common denominator, what's the common denon denominator of all these things? Exactly. So it's really us who you're. You know, the reflection in the mirror, that's the number one cause of house fires, and that's us as people. We have a, a question in the back. Um, so, okay, someone's coming back with the microphone. Hold on. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, this is Gigi Firth for Dallas. And I have found that, because uh, I had a... I had a uh, I was taking something out of the oven, and stupid me let it down too far, and you can hear it when it catches fire. It goes, <laughs> it makes you know, noise. Oh, you know, thanks for that. Yeah, you can hear it, um, and you know, it's not so much that I was blind that it happened; it's because I was stupid. Okay, I uh, mean, you know, I think, but for the most part, most of us, because we, I think most of us know we have to be extra careful, mm -hmm. and so I think in many ways, some of us are 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 safer. Because my husband, yeah. he has a real bad habit of pushing the, the uh, candles to the pots out further than he should. And I've yelled at him about it, but he still does it. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's actually a really great point. Um, so, you know, no matter who I go out and talk to, we all have habits, right? Everyone has habits and things that maybe we take for granted. And... Um, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories, if that's okay, because I think stories go a long way in remembering um, remembering that certain things are risks. I'm going to tell you two stories when it comes to kitchen fires. Number one, we had a... This, these things happened in Minneapolis, but they can happen anywhere. Um, <clears throat> there was a woman that lived on the 14th floor of an apartment building downtown Minneapolis, and every single day she did the same... She had the same habit. She'd put soup on the stove. She'd turn it on simmer... And then while her soup was heating up, she'd go down into the lobby, so 14 floors down to the lobby to get her mail, and then she'd go back up. And by the time she was back upstairs, the soup was warm, ready to eat lunch, right? She did this every single day, right? Nothing ever happened. Well, one day, 
One day, she went down to the lobby like she did to check her mail, and um, while she was in the lobby, she ran into a friend, and they got to chatting, right? You know where this is leading, right? So they got to chatting, and um, her friend invited her out to go shopping. So they went out shopping. Well, we had a, what we call a first alarm fire in that apartment building, whether it was an hour or however long later it took for things to really get going. Um, okay, so... The moral of the story there is turn the burner off before you leave the kitchen. Anytime you leave the kitchen, whether you think it's just going to be a second or not, because we are all prone to forgetting, right? It happened to me when I was growing up. I forgot, put a cake in the oven, went to the park, <laughs> and I forgot about it. Now, I was only 10, but still, it can happen to anybody where you're 10 or 90, right? We're all prone to forget when we get distracted. And we're all multitasking these days, too. We've got cell phones and the radio and the TV and the computer and, and all that. So turn that burner off if you have to leave this, the kitchen even for a second. Another tip is to use the back burners first, okay? And especially um, if you have little ones at home who are prone to want to reach up and uh, maybe grab something or it smells good. So use those back burners first if you can. Turn your pot handles in, okay, so they're not sticking out. Okay, turn those pot handles in. Um, so that if you bump, if you're not going to bump things, it reduces the chance of bumping. The number one cause of burn injuries to our little ones, let's say seven and younger, and then again, 70 and older, are hot liquid burns. Lots of people don't realize that. Do you remember the, the McDonald's story of the woman that got burned by the coffee in the McDonald's? So it's a reality that we can suffer severe third-degree burns from hot liquids, and that includes food on the stove that dumps over and spills on us, um, especially if it's an oil-based hot liquid. You know, um, you, you can suffer a pretty extreme injury. So be really careful. Um, be safe in the kitchen, okay? Um, and um, if you do have a, uh, a fire that happens in the kitchen, if you're able to put it out, great. Okay, if you recognize there's something and you're able to slide that lid on top of the pan very quickly to, to suffocate it, or you're able to use a fire extinguisher, okay? Um, um, always follow up that with a 911 call to your local fire departments. Um, most jurisdictions, it's a free call to the fire department to call 911. In Minneapolis, what happens is if you were to call and say, hey, I had a kitchen fire, or a small fire, we're talking a small fire, and the fire's out, but I just want the fire truck to come and make sure everything's okay. And I'm going to tell you why you should do that in a second here, but that is, that's a free call in most jurisdictions. The fire truck will come, they'll take a look and make sure that the fire is not only completely out, but that it hasn't started growing in places that we, we can't recognize. For example, behind a wall or above the ceiling. When flames impinge on the wall or the ceiling or other objects, Sometimes if it gets hot enough, little embers can start growing behind those spaces um, that we can't either visually see or recognize by touch. And so the fire department can come in and with their uh, thermal imager, all right, it's a special type of a camera where we can see heat behind, um, behind like walls and ceilings and those types of things for the purpose of being able to find the fire in spaces that they can't see otherwise. Yeah, a question in the very back. We get, we're coming back with the microphone, so hold on. I had one of those power adapters, you know, where that you plug in, so if you get a power surge, I had uh, several things plugged into it, Okay. and it kind of blew up and started a little fire, and I called the fire department. Is that why they took the imager and crawled up into my uh, crawl space? Probably. They were probably looking to see if there was any source of the fire, maybe up in um, where your wiring is up in the attic or those types of things. Yep. So that's a great question. Um, it's kind of nice that someone's had some personal experience from that. I've never had somebody with that feedback, so thank you. Um, okay, so kitchen fires, just be really careful. 50% um, of house fires start in the kitchen, and it's uh, we that we can prevent those types of fires. Um, entire houses burned down from people uh, being a little bit careless in the kitchen, all right? If you have little ones, does anybody here have y young children at home? No? Okay, a couple of you. So when I go out and talk to kids, I'm finding that 
younger and younger kids, and we're talking three and four-year-olds even, are cooking with the microwave. Now, remember I said that the number one cause of burn injuries to young children is hot liquid burns? This includes even food that might be coming out of the microwave, um, mac and cheese, uh, soups, um, and other types of most microwavable foods are oil-based, right, especially the fast stuff that kids like to eat. So um, make sure you're teaching your kiddos how to cook safely. Make sure you teach them that that food is hot, right, and that that can cause a burn as well. Um, teaching our kids to be safe and raising them in a culture of safety are, is going to help us be safer as adults as well, okay? So um, does anybody have any um, kitchen fire safety concerns that I haven't talked about or that may pertain, pertain to your service animals? Yeah, yeah, in the, right in the front we've got a question right up here. Oh, hold on one second. Okay. Uh, this wasn't related to your last question, but um, I had a, a grease fire a long time ago, mm -hmm. uh, in, luckily in an apartment building because I had neighbors close. And when they came and put it out, they asked where my coffee or my flour was. And so my question is, if you realize that you have something starting to burn, I, I guess we've all heard that don't ever put out an oil fire with water. Mm -hmm. uh, is something like flour, baking soda, coffee, anything that you can get that's textured like that a good mm -hmm. thing to throw on it? Yeah. So, yep, that's a great question. I've never heard of coffee grounds, coffee. Um, you're exactly right that you shouldn't put water on a grease or oil-based fire. Flour can work. Baking yeah. soda can work. A lot of people don't know that inside a fire extinguisher is baking soda. It's a baking soda type product. And the reason that we like people to use those instead of a box of baking soda is with a box of baking soda, you're having to get up pretty close to that pan, even over it, to throw the baking soda on. Whereas with a fire extinguisher, you can stand back a few feet. Okay, so if you're going to have a fire extinguisher at home, um, keep it in or near the kitchen because that's most likely where you're going to need to use it, okay? You don't have to have a big one, just a small one is fine. If you live in an apartment building, know where your fire extinguishers are. You're going to have them in the hallways, so know where they are. And then know how to use them before you have to use them. And I'll talk a little bit about the, the acronym and the steps to use a fire extinguisher in a little bit. It's pretty simple. All of them operate about the same, okay? Okay, does a fire extinguisher expire was the question. Um, generally, they're, they're okay as long as they still have pressure in them, okay? So you can have someone come and check on your fire extinguisher to make sure they're still pressurized, but they last a really long time. So, yeah. Um, okay. I was going to sure. say that um, we have a, a, a paper towel holder, uh -huh. and it sits next to the toaster, and it sit, the toaster's next to the microwave. Okay. Now, that would be a fire hazard, wouldn't it, if, if the paper towels got too close to the... To the to the, if the paper towels got too close to the toaster in particular, because you have those glowing orange, you know, uh, filaments that, that cook your toast for you in the toaster. I'm not too worried about the paper towels in the, near the microwave, because the exterior of the microwave stays cool. Um, but I would be careful of the toaster. And my recommendation, I usually get questions from people as far as those appliances that we keep on our countertops, whether it be the coffee pot or the toaster or the crock pot and those types of things. Make sure you just have a nice circle of safety around those appliances. When I say circle of safety, make sure you don't have things like mail, backpacks, newspapers, magazines, okay. even paper towels. I don't know about you, but the first place that I, I go when I get home is the kitchen, and everything gets piled up on the countertop. Make sure that stuff gets moved before you know, you're cooking or using appliances. And I personally unplug everything after I use it. I unplug the coffee pot, I unplug the toaster, um, just for safety, all right? So hold on, we'll take questions. Charlie, hold on. <laughs> Actually, this was follows up on what you just said. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm grinding coffee before I um, pour the grounds into the pot, I unplug the um, cord from the grinder. I don't want to okay. touch anything where the blades could start whirling. Oh, that's a great idea. Yep. Thank you. 
Hold on, we're going to grab a couple more questions here. And then I realize I forgot to tell you my second story, so I'll do that in a second, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, hold, hold on, on. Hold on, hold on. Um, I, I have a, first of all, I have to preface this by a confession. Okay. It's a safe place to confess here, so <laughs> go ahead. We're good. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Mother. Uh, <laughs> actually, um, I was cooking um, popcorn in the microwave. And it cooked too long. Okay. And I heard the sizzle. So, oh, then I smelled the smoke. <laughs> this is a double O. <laughs> so I turned the microwave off and called the fire department, but I closed the door to the microwave in the belief that denying it oxygen would get rid of the fire. And okay. I've done that also. Well, I've never had an oven fire, but I know that people say, well, if you close the oven again, you cut out the source of oxygen. Are those things true? Yes, it is true. If you have a fire in your oven, the safest thing to do is keep that oven door closed and then, of course, turn the oven off if it's safe for you to do so. If you can safely turn the oven off without getting burned, you want to eliminate the heat, eliminate the oxygen. And either We have something called the fire triangle that we learn about in firefighter school. And the fire triangle represents the three things or the three elements that fire needs to grow and get bigger. And if you remove even one of those, the triangle collapses, the fire goes out. And those three things are oxygen, right? Fuel. What's the third one? Uh, Air is oxygen. Third one, heat. Yep, you got it. So those three things. So by turning that oven off, you're turning down the heat. By keeping the oven door closed, you're eliminating the oxygen. Now, of course, there's a little bit of oxygen. It's not a completely, you know, tightly sealed box in there. So you always want to follow that up with a call to 911. Um, again, for the reasons that I stated before, too, just to make sure it's all the way out. Okay. Any other questions? Couple yes. More? I was just wondering if it's true. I heard once that if you sprayed like a pan grease fire with a fire extinguisher, it would spread because of the pressure. So I've always kept this ginormous um, bag of baking soda from Costco under my kitchen sink. But uh-huh. should you use a fire extinguisher instead? Um, you can use either one, honestly. You can, they have, there's actually a new product out there called Fire Stop. And what it is, it's two, um, like tuna, like large tuna can size um, uh, metal cans that go above your cooktop. And then they're magnetized, so they'll stick with a magnet to your um, hood that's above your, above your stovetop. And what these are, are they are canisters that include that have inside a uh, baking soda type material, and they will open up if the flames impinge on them. Okay, so they won't open up from heat, because we all know that there's plenty of heat that comes off of our stovetops, but they will open up if there's flames, and they're extremely successful. They're not cheap. Um, it's about $40 for a box of two. I actually went on Amazon today to check. Uh, I was looking for some other things, and these just happened to pop up. But um, you can find them in big box hardware stores like the Home Depots and the Menards and, you know, I don't know, you know, whatever the common, uh, you know, big box hardware stores are in your communities. But, um, or you can find them online as well. It's about $40 for two of them. It's a great investment. And actually a lot of the landlords of apartment buildings in Minneapolis are purchasing them for all their, you know, rental units. And, um, it's really it's preventing uh, quite a number of stovetop fires. It's, they've been super successful, so that's something to consider too. Uh-huh. Uh, it would have to touch it. Yep. But generally, the flames will start to get pretty high fairly quickly if they have enough fuel, and once the fire gets going. So yeah. I know we're supposed to talk about safety with our dogs. Mm-hmm. I have a two-story house. Okay. I have two cats. And a dog. Okay. And our concern has always been if we're upstairs asleep in the bedroom and we have the dog, I know where the dog is Mm -hmm. because he's with me. Right. But what are you supposed to do? Because, you know, if you close the door and you're in there, I don't know. Would you okay? You know, would you open the window and and put them outside or what? That is a great question. That's the thing that I've always been concerned about. 
Okay, I'm actually going to hit on that topic in, in just in a couple of topics here. If that's okay, I'm going to come back to that. I'm just going to finish up with the kitchen fire safety, and then we are going to talk about preparedness planning if you need to leave your home, whether it's a fire or some other emergency, and I'm going to talk about that as far as what to have in place and different, um, different tools and things to have in place in case it is a fire and you're on the second floor. If you're in an apartment versus single-family home and all that, we're going to talk about that, what type of a plan and what's going to work for you. Um, so thanks for that question, I, and I will address that in just a second. It's a whole other big topic, so I want to make sure that, that I talk about it first, and then we'll get there. So um, I'm going to talk about one other, my other story, and that is it has to do with storage of items in our, in our uh, kitchens and our stoves. Um, there was a woman, this is a true story, she was part of a brunch club, and every week her club, would they would rotate from home to home. Whoever hosted um, would uh, decide what to cook, and they would cook breakfast and have everybody over. Well, this one woman, we'll just call her Amy, I don't remember her exact name, but Amy never cooked, okay? She never used her kitchen, so when it was her turn, she would take people out to a restaurant, okay? So she'd take people out to a restaurant, easy, she doesn't cook. She's not going to dirty up her kitchen. Well, this particular time, it was Amy's turn, but her friends decided they would come to Amy's apartment or condo, and they would cook for her, right? They were going to use her kitchen. So they come over, and they bring the ingredients, and they're getting things heated up and all that, preheating the oven and getting things ready on the stove. And all of a sudden, something starts to smell a little bit funny, and it's coming from the oven, okay? Now, they haven't put anything in the oven yet, all right? What do you think was in that oven? Someone said she stored her pans. Just shout out whatever, what you think might have been in that oven. Paper towels. What else? Paper bags. Newspapers. This was kind of an extraordinary thing that Amy had stored in her oven. You're getting close. Someone said underwear. Shoes, whoever said shoes should win a prize. I wish I had prizes. Amy stored her off-season shoes in the oven because she never used her oven. Now, there have been times, just a couple times, and I don't really do this anymore, but all of a sudden someone's coming over, my kitchen's a mess, I can grab everything, just shove it in the oven. All of a sudden it's clean, right? Nothing's on the counter, nothing's in the sink. We've had people store maybe pans in the oven, Tupperware, oh, that's not good, right? Um, so the point, or even dry goods, dry food, uh, beans, boxed food items, those types of things. I had a neighbor who used to store all of their boxed food items and like, uh, I don't know, little treats for their grandkids in their dishwasher because they... <laughs> They never used their dishwasher to wash dishes, and so it was just an extra storage space to them. But can you imagine if someone would have started pressing the buttons on that dishwasher with food in there? It would have been all lost, right? So the point of the story is don't use your oven or your stovetop for a storage place, okay? Because it's only a matter of time before you yourself are going to forget you might have something in there or on top, or someone's going to come over and preheat that oven for you not knowing that you've got whatever it is in there, okay? Um, the shoes were a total loss. Everything else was okay. <laughs> so, okay, so, yeah, we got a question over here. Go ahead. No, I was going to talk about some people don't realize that if you get, like, fried chicken in a bucket or um, pizza in a box or things like that, you can't reheat them in the container they come from the store. <laughs> I've heard of more people starting fires that way because they thought that they could put the Kentucky Fried Chicken in for a few minutes and warm it up. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So you don't want to put cardboard boxes in the oven. You also need to be really careful with what goes in the microwave because some of these um, fast food or takeout or delivery containers may contain like an aluminum foil or something. And, of course, aluminum doesn't go in the microwave either. So if you're going to reheat something... Take it out of that packaging, put it in a, either an oven or a microwave-safe dish, and then reheat it that way, okay? Or if you really like cold pizza, then you're in luck because you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so, okay, um, 
I'm going to just go to the next topic that um, our friend here asked about, and that is evacuation in case of a fire or a smoke emergency. Um, now, um, how many of you, as you're staying in your hotel here, um, know how many doors between your door and the end of the hallway where the stairwells are? How many of you have counted? You've counted the doors. Okay, not all of you, but maybe 15% maybe of you in here, just to give you an idea. Okay, that's great. Everyone should do that, okay? And I mean everybody. Um, when I go to a hotel now, I once was at a conference and I heard a fire chief talk about every time he goes and stays at a hotel or a new place, even someone else's home, he looks at where the escape routes are, where are the exits, and counts the number of doorways, right, between us or between your room and then, and then the end of the hallway. Folks that are sighted, um, we take for granted that we can see the number of, see the end of the hallway, right, or see how many doorways there are or see the lighted exit sign at the end of the hallway. Um, and so whether you're sighted or not, no matter what your situation is, it's really important to know where the exit is um, how far it is, how you're going to get there, okay? Um, and this includes your exit uh, plan at home. Um, when I go and talk to kids in, in uh, grade schools, kids are so sharp. They're being taught, they're going, they have fire alarms in their school, right, fire drills. And so they're used to having fire drills and talking about um, what to do in case they need to go, go get out when the fire alarm goes off. And then I ask them, okay, so do you have fire drills at home? Most of them don't. Most of us don't have fire drills at home. The advantage of having a fire drill or having a pre-planned evacuation plan is that everybody knows what to do in case of the emergency and where to go. Um, there have been um, situations where, let's say there's been a house fire and everybody gets out. All right, but people go in different directions, okay? So mom and dad, let's say, get out, and then the kids get out, but they go somewhere else. Maybe they're in the back of the house instead of the front. The fire department arrives, and mom and dad are frantic, saying, oh, my gosh, you know, my child is still in there. You need to go in and rescue them. So the fire department goes in, rescuing their lives with the, with the sake of saving the life of the, of the kids that's supposedly still inside, not knowing that the kid got out on their own, Okay. So um, I'm going to talk about a few of the different uh, nuts and bolts of creating a, a safety or an evacuation plan for your house, and that is, number one, know the different ways of getting out if you need to exit the house, okay? Um, doors and windows are really what we're talking about, doors, windows, stairwells, those types of things. We can have a certain route that we have mapped out, but you should always have a secondary egress as well in case that the first and easiest way out isn't going to work or it's blocked, okay? So, for example, at my house, I live in a two-story single-family home. My, my no-brainer exit is going to be go down the stairs and out the front door. If for some reason I cannot use that exit, then my other option is going to be the windows upstairs, at the bedroom windows. Can I safely jump from the second story to the gr ground floor without getting hurt? Probably not. Um, unless I happen to land in the bushes or something, and even then I'm probably going to get hurt. Um, if, if I had to do that to save my life, of course I would do that. In Minneapolis, um, we have a full-time fire department that's on duty 24-7, 365 days a week. Um, our average response time is about three minutes, okay? So we're here pretty quick. Um, now... When the fire alarm goes off, the smoke detector goes off in homes, it generally means you have two minutes at the most to get out, okay? Um, there's some great uh, narratives and videos online that talk through um, a house fire and show some visuals as well, visuals and um, t narration on house fires and how fast fire grows. If an actual fire starts and that smoke detector goes off from an actual fire, not from nuisance cooking or burnt toast or something like that, but from an actual fire, you have about two minutes to get out because fire doubles in size every couple of seconds as long as it has enough oxygen, fuel, and heat, okay? As long as it has all those ingredients, 
it's going to get big really fast, okay? So it's really important that we have some things at home to keep us safe. Number one, having working smoke detectors is really important. 70% um, of people that die in home fires, we found have either no smoke detectors or no working smoke detectors. Why do you think smoke detectors in our homes might not be working? Right, and why do we take the batteries out of our smoke alarms? Exactly, because they go on when we burn our toast or our pizza or maybe the steam from the shower. So you take that battery out, and as soon as you take that battery out, it just it doesn't go back in. Most people don't replace it, okay? If you have nuisance, smoke alarms, smoke detectors, I'll just use these terms loosely, it's all the same thing. Fire alarms, smoke alarms, they're all the same. Um, if you have nuisance ones at home that are going off, and especially going off to the point that you're wanting to remove the batteries <laughs> so that they don't go off again, just move, if you're able to, move that smoke detector um, just like outside of that room, outside the kitchen area or down the hall. Or um, Most jurisdictions, the code for smoke alarms is that you need to have one on every level of your home. If you're on a one-level one level apartment or something, that may just mean one smoke detector, right? Um, but we recommend that you have one on every level of your home as well as one inside each of the bedrooms, okay? And you'll have to check with your local jurisdictions to see what the, the code is for smoke alarms where, wherever you live. But make sure that they're working, and if they're nuisance, they're going off from, you know, these different things, burnt pizza, toast, whatever, um, if you're a renter, ask if they can be moved away from that area a little bit. If you own your space, uh, move them so that they're not a nuisance, okay? So have working smoke detectors is key. Second, we want you to have a plan on what to do if you need to exit your home, okay? And um, all of you, or most of you in here, have service animals. You may have other animals at home as well, birds, cats, right? I have two dogs, a cat, and a bearded dragon um, at my house, okay? It's a lizard-type reptile. The reptiles love the heat, right? So the fire is going to be nice for that guy up until a point, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, so have, have a plan, okay? What are you, how are you going to get out of the house? Now, you had asked um, what happens if you're on the second floor and you can't, if you can't get down out the front door. What do you do, what do, you do with the dog? And my, my advice to you is... Um, if you have a cell phone, right, in your bedroom, have a way to contact 911 from the sleeping areas. Um, shut the door so that you're eliminating heat and smoke and fire. Most doors are created to prevent, their, uh, to prevent fire and heat and smoke from entering those spaces, and they're, they're usually rated to last at least 10 minutes, if not longer. Right, so close the door to prevent fire and heat and smoke from coming into your in that into that space that you're in. If you can call 911 from that room, that's going to be your first thing. You want to call 911 and indicate that you you have a house fire, you're trapped on the second floor. Okay, you can. There are options out there. You have there safe escape ladders that you can purchase that are meant to throw over a uh, windowsill, and they usually go anywhere from for two stories to up to four stories for these safe escape ladders. Again, you can get these at hardware stores or on Amazon or other online, you know, resources. Um, um, the other thing that you can do, and this is something that I tell all sorts of folks when I go out and talk about uh, preparedness planning, and that is if you have a special situation that you think that emergency responders should know before they get to their house or en route to your home, so, for example, if, you're, if you use a wheelchair or you're not able to ambulate up and down the stairs or you're not able to hear, um, we can put um, an alert in the computer system on your address and the 911 system. So, for example, in Minneapolis here, if you were to call, let's say, let's say I, I live in Minneapolis and um, I, I'm in a wheelchair, okay, and I'm not able to get up and down the stairs, I can, on my own my own accord, call the 911 center and say, hey, this is my situation. I'd like to have a little note put in the 911 field so that when this call comes from my address, the emergency responders know that I'm not able to get down the stairs and I might need some extra help. You guys have the autonomy um, 
to be able to call your local 911 center if you'd like them to know that you have service animals, that um, you're visually impaired, if you think that's important for them to know before they get to your home, okay? We're not gonna put that information in there without your consent, right? The, the fire department or the paramedics may come and they may come for a medical emergency or whatever it is. They're not gonna put that information in just on their own accord. But if you feel like you have a situation um, where it would be helpful for us to know prior to coming, that's great. There's, uh, you can call your local 911 center and they'll put that information in. It's really helpful for us to know some of that. Some of the situations that we go to that it would be really helpful us to, for us to know ahead of time is number one, if people, have, um, if people do have service animals, that would be great because we're looking not only for people but for pets and service animals as well. It's a, it's a really good thing to know. You can also post information on the windows or the doors. Yeah, we got a question here, so I'm just gonna pause for one second. Hold on. Hi, just on, on that note, um, I don't know what the apartment buildings are like here in Minneapolis, but I, I live in New York City. Okay. And we have fire escapes outside of our apartments. Usually, I always like it when it's outside the bedroom, but uh, mm -hmm. the one that I live at right now is outside the living room. Mm -hmm. And I've approached my building to see if it was okay to, you know, kind of practice, because I've never been out on a fire escape before, you know, uh -huh. maybe just go out there and kind of look around and see what the steps are like, you know, and so anyway, my whole point is, do you think it's a good idea to practice that with like a guide dog, you know, and maybe yes. just leave him outside mm -hmm. while I, I escape, or mm -hmm. what do you think the best situation in that I case would, is? I would always practice your plan. Always practice, especially if it's a, a situation where you're not gonna use regularly. In Minneapolis, we don't have, we have some fire escapes outside of our old brownstone buildings, but most of them are not maintained and even completely unsafe and shouldn't be used, right? New York City, I have a couple friends that live in New York City and I always see pictures of them like outside on the fire escape, it's just beautiful, right? It's really cool, visually it's cool to see you know these things, but um, yeah, so practice that. Um, practice it with your dog. Make sure your dog is um, familiar and feels safe too. I, my two dogs freeze anytime they have to walk over a bridge or anything where they can see down. It just freaks them out, right? They don't, they get scared when they have to, I have to literally carry one of my dogs if I'm going to walk over a bridge where they can see through the slats or something like that. So you know your own animals. Um, yeah, get them familiar with that as well. I think that's a really important important thing. So we have another question over here too. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, I just was told we have 15 minutes, so try that. Hi. Um, I lived in a, like a three-story house. We had, from the basement level to the top of the house where I had a balcony outside of my, my area, was six flights of half half flights because the house was sort of like a split level mm -hmm. and it kept going back and forth and back and forth so what I did finally was um, purchase a ladder for that kind of thing that's made out of rope and, and plastic steps and kept it you know in a handy place close to that balcony exit because um, you know you can you can plan ahead that way too you don't have to you know, talk to your landlord or whatever, mm -hmm. or make major changes. There are things you can buy that are, are mm -hmm. safer. And um, I think I'd have a hard time with this, with this particular dog because he's awfully big, but I have practiced carrying my dog mm -hmm. because on the airlines they tell you to sit at the top of the slide and put your dog in your lap. Well, it's a little hard right. with some of our dogs. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, they're big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I had a 95-pound black lab that I just burst out laughing when. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the dog might be bigger than you are in some cases, yeah, right? So, yeah. So you know, practi I've practiced with him um, mm -hmm. with the children's slide at yeah. the playground. Oh, teaching, that's a great idea. Teaching him how to go down a slide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um, Know what your plan is loosely, because we don't want to have so strict of a plan that if that plan falls through, we don't know what else to do. Know what your options are, your different evacuation routes. 
know how long it takes for the fire department and other emergency responders to get to your home in your jurisdiction. In the big cities, they get there really quick. In rural, rural areas, the countryside, it's gonna take a lot longer for people to respond. So know, um, just you know, know the situation where you live uh, and, and practice it. Practice that plan and have a safe meeting spot outside the home that everybody knows to go to. At my house, um, I have a little mutual aid agreement with my neighbor who happens to be a Minneapolis police officer. And so if, if they have a fire emergency in their home, um, their family comes to our house. They take refuge in our house. We get a lot of cold weather here in Minnesota. We get a lot of rain and other types of things. So if, if they have a fire emergency or something else, they come to our house and vice versa. So if I get out and my son is not at Jim and Heather's house, the cop, if he's not there, I know that he's still inside and I can tell the, the fire first responders exactly where he is or where he's most likely to be, okay? Um, have a plan for your pets. And I'm gonna talk about just general, what to put in an emergency preparedness kit for your pets in a second here um, with the time that we have remaining. Um, but have a plan for your pets. We've had situations where people get their animals out. This is particularly true of cats now. And I'm not picking on cats, because I have a cat. But um, cats, especially if they're indoor cats and they're not used to being outside, if you evacuate that house with a cat in your arms, they're gonna be so scared, not only because they're outside and they're not used to it, but there's a lot of chaos going on, lights and um, sirens and noises. They're gonna get afraid, they're gonna jump out of your arms and you know where they're gonna go? Back in the house, right? And this has happened, right? So know your animals. Maybe your um, safe meeting spot out the house, outside of the house might be if you have access to a garage or a vehicle. Um, the, maybe your safe meeting spot is gonna be in a place where you have an extra crate for your animals that you can put them safely in the crate or you can put them in the car, whether it's your car or your spouse's car or your neighbor's car or, you know, or garage, but a place where they're gonna be kept safe and confined until the emergency is, is mitigated. Okay, we got a question over here, hold on. Just real quick, as a sighted person that's learned a lot from you guys, uh, I'm a guide dog instructor, I learned the importance of knowing where the uh, emergency stairs are in my hotel rooms you know, as I travel a lot. The thing that I do do, and because I also have a dog with me, is practice it and don't trust the engineers to say that there's 12 steps here and then 12 steps next because they're always different. You have nine steps, eight steps, nine steps, eight steps. So practice it with your dog and get the sighted people around you to do it as well because if it gets dark and there's smoke in there, they're going to want to follow you out of the building. Okay. I'm going to talk about emergency preparedness planning kits. Okay. And this information can, will be accessible on your website after today. Um, but we, oftentimes we don't think about extra things we should have at home in case, let's say, the power goes out or we're confined to our house for maybe a week at a time without being able to leave. Um, there's all sorts of emergencies that can happen, whether they're weather emergencies, or maybe it's a terrorist emergency, or maybe it's, um, I mean, all sorts of things can happen where we have, we're either confined to our homes or we need to leave our homes for an extended period of time. So um, things that you should have in a, in a preparedness kit, and I would like you to have these things on hand planning for maybe five to seven days or more, um, not only for yourselves, but for your service animals and your family and your other pets at home. That is enough food. Have enough food. Um, and the food that you and your animals are most likely to eat. So a lot of our animals are on special diets. My, in particular, have to be on a grain-free dog food, right? So I have extra grain-free dog food on hand for these guys to last at least a week um, I keep an extra kit of some of these things, not only at home, but also in my vehicle, okay, in case I need to go. I've got extra stuff on hand there. Have water, and I would say three gallons of water per day, um, or well, they say one gallon of water per day per person, okay? And for your dogs, exactly, okay? Now water, if you don't have access to potable or clean water, 
If you put eight drops of bleach into a gallon of water and let it sit for a little while, that'll disinfect the water, okay? You don't want to use um, scented bleach or there's other like special type, just straight bleach, okay? Eight drops in a gallon of water will disinfect the water, okay? But have one gallon of water per person uh, per day and then I would say another gallon of water for your, for your animals. They're probably not going to drink that much, but you know, just have enough. You can also use wet food instead of dry, um, and that'll give them a little extra hydration. Um, if you have a can opener, if you have a can opener, have a, um, a tw uh, manual one and not an electric one in case the electricity goes out. Okay, so a can opener is great. Dry foods. Um, Foods that you, uh, granola bars, uh, dried fruit, um, uh, canned food is great, um, these types of things. Medications, right? Um, lots of us are on medications. Lots of our animals are on medications. Have extra medication. If you're able to, to do so, I'm sure your vet, veterinarians would be happy uh, to prescribe extra medication. I think us as people have a little harder time getting extra sets of medication. Um, uh, but the pets, uh, make sure you have extra medication if, you're, if you, you and your animals are on medication. Okay, we got five minutes, so I'm going to go through a list. Um, uh, so, what's that? Until four. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm, somebody's saying five and someone's saying 25, so I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> um, hold on one second. We're just going to clarify this. Okay, so we have maybe 15 minutes. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, thank you. Um, food dishes, okay, first aid supplies, um, blankets, dog beds. I saw next door, in the room next door, there's some really great supplies over there. I saw um, a um, travel dog bed that looked really nice. Um, so think you can also just use sleeping bag. You can use um, extra blankets. I personally buy my, a lot of my emergency kit supplies from secondhand stores, like Goodwill. Um, we have a, a store here called Axeman Surplus um, that has all sorts of cool things, flashlights, um, uh, you know, manual, uh, you know, can openers and these types of things. Um, Goodwill and the secondhand stores is a great place to get maybe extra outdoor gear. So for myself, I live in a cold climate here in Minnesota. So yeah, I buy extra boots, extra coat, hat and mittens that I actually keep in my vehicle for the wintertime for myself and my son, okay? So we both have an extra set of stuff. It doesn't have to be expensive. I swear I, sp I spend maybe, I buy just as a lot, it keeps me warm. I buy a $3 coat. <laughs> I buy $2 pair of boots. I mean, we're talking, this is for emergencies only, so it doesn't have to be super, you know, uh, super fancy stuff. Extra blankets and these types of things. Have a contact outside, if possible, outside the state that you live in, or at least outside the city that you live in where you can check in with somebody outside of the immediate area that might be affected by the emergency where you can check in and tell somebody that you're okay. Okay, an emergency contact outside of the area is really important, and they found this to be true as emergency preparedness um, gurus have uh, kind of dissected emergencies that have happened in the United States finding out that people were trying to check in with other folks who may have been affected by the emergency as well, and there wasn't a lot of accountability. So having somebody preferably out of the state or at least outside of your immediate service area where you can call and tell them that you're okay, okay? Um, we've got a hand up in the back, and it's only one hand, so do you want to just tell me what your question is? Mm-hmm. I've always been concerned that a shelter would take my dog because during Katrina, that kind of stuff happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, so make sure your dog has really, I, now most, all of your dogs actually here, but you may have other pets at home. Um, the dog, all the service dogs that I've ever seen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, have really great identification on them. 
Um, so make sure all of your pets have great identification with their name, your telephone number, address, um, they're microchipped, all those things. Another thing that I read, and this seemed like a really great idea, and that is to have a photograph of yourself with your pet and your, or your, and or your service animal. Have a photograph of you with your animal so that you can show the people at the emergency shelters that, yes, this is my dog. Look at, here's a picture of me with my, <laughs> with my pet. This one is mine. You know, here's right. proof right here. I thought that was a great idea May to have a, a picture comment? of yourself with your pet. Mm-hmm. This is Susan Crawford, sure. and um, FEMA has done an, an enormous amount of work since Katrina, and they have worked with a lot of their uh, the, the third-party providers, most notably the American Red Cross, but there's also some other organizations as well. And if, if you need to be evacuated any part in the, in the emergency uh, process, uh, all the way through sheltering and transitional housing and um, if you show up and, and you say you're a person with a disability and you have a service animal, they're going to shelter you with your service animal. They're not going to separate you. Okay. You, you don't have to have, you know, you have right. to have ID or anything. Mm -hmm. They've had a ton of training on that. They're ready to go. Okay. Yeah, it's my understanding they've had a ton of training on that as well. The one thing um, you want to be mindful is if you have other pets at home. So, for example, I've got two dogs, neither of which are service animals. I've got a cat and then my, my lizard. Um, sometimes people are prone to leave their animals at home in case of an emergency, not when the house is still safe inside, thinking that the animals are probably better off in the house because they're familiar with the house, they're safe there, and they go off with the intent of coming back to the house. And this has happened in flood-prone areas especially. Um, and then those folks are not able to get back to the house or for a very long time, okay? Mm -hmm. So always take your pets with you don't assume that you'll be able to get back right away because oftentimes you're not. And that's where we need to have a plan. So having crates to create your animals, maybe having a person you can leave your non-service animals with um, uh, and those types of things, having a, a preparedness plan and thinking about these ahead of time. If you were to have to leave your home, um, what do you need to take with you and where are you going to keep, keep these things? Can so. I make a quick comment? Sure, go ahead. Um, um, along with that also... Um, to put in your uh, packet, you know, backpack or something for your dog. It may be an extra leash that you could uh, have handy. Yeah. And also, um, you can get the, if you, you know, your boots for your dogs, or you can also get um, baby socks at the stores mm -hmm. to uh, put over your dog's paws. That's um, a great idea. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, I like the idea of having extra leashes. I'm forever trying to, f I only have one set of leashes for each of my dogs, and uh, you lose one and you're scrambling, you know, so having extra leashes in there again, you know, you can end up spending a lot of money on leashes. They can be easily $30 sometimes, and that can add up. After, so finding, you know, if you can find these, some of these extra things just at secondhand stores, it can really help reduce the cost. I had one issue. quick question for yeah, you. Yeah, go ahead. Earlier in the thing, you said you'd tell us the steps to using a fire extinguisher, and I thought yeah. that would be good because I bought a couple of the a couple of months ago, and I always okay. thought you just sprayed it to flames, and that, right. I was told, is not the way you use it. Right. Okay, so the, the acronym to remember how to use a fire extinguisher, PASS, that's P-A-S-S. P stands for pull the pin. There's usually a pin in the fire extinguisher handle that'll prevent that handle from being squeezed prematurely or accidentally or maliciously. You know, we're talking about kids that like to tamper with things sometimes. <laughs> so there's a pin in there. You need to pull that pin. So um, feel the extinguisher, feel where the pin is, and know which pin you're going to need to pull. After you've pulled that pin out, then A, you're going to aim, and you're aiming at the base of the fire. So if we're talking about a pan fire or a garbage can fire, you're going to aim at the lowest point, not at the top of the flames, but at the lowest point. You're aiming at the base of the fire. So pull the aim. Yep, pull. Aim. Squeeze. Yep, squeeze the handle. And what's the last one? Sweep back and forth. Sweep back and forth. Just don't point in one spot, but sweep it back and forth. So it's pull, aim, squeeze, sweep. Okay. So now all of these instructions are on the fire extinguisher itself, but you're not going to be able it's not in Braille on there. It's not in large print on the, I can barely read it myself, right? And I'm a sighted person because it's in such fine print. So know how to use a fire extinguisher 
There's um, lots of YouTube videos that would talk you through how to do, do this as well, right, um, with good narration. Um, if you have a fire extinguisher, the main thing is know where it is and know how to use it. They're only meant for small fires. They're only meant for small fires, okay? And we're talking like a cubic foot, a small wastebasket size or smaller, okay? And then remember, who are you going to call even after the fire's out? Fire department, call 911 and say, hey, I had a small fire, the fire's out, but can you guys come just take, make sure it's okay, okay? Um, and of course, 911 is your one-stop shop for any other emergency as well, okay? Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay, rescue, alert, contain, and evacuate. Okay, so you're rescuing yourself, first of all, if there's a fire. Mm -hmm. Yep. Alert, alerting 911, right? Yep, close. That's right, we never use the elevators. And one of the things I always get asked is, well, what if you're not able to ambulate up and down the stairs? Um, what you, if you're in a building with elevators, for, such as this building here, um, if you're not able to ambulate up and down the stairs, we want you to at least get into the stairwell and stay on the landing, and the fire department will help um, carry you down. The stairwells are built to be fire safe and smoke free in buildings like this, mm -hmm. um, and that's why they're considered safe places of refuge and your um, your primary emergency evacuation route. We never stop doors that have automatic closures. That's right. We never block doors that have automatic closures. Um, if you if you all have any questions about yeah. um, any of these things, you can call your local fire departments. Um, again, I'm going to be sending out links on, on all the information that we talked out about today. There's so much more that we could, there's so many topics we could talk about. Candle fire safety, space heaters, all these things. The primary thing is make sure that you're safe at home, that you're blowing those candles out before you leave the room if you use candles. Unplugging those space heaters before you go to bed. Um, if you have concerns about the fire safety of your apartment building or your home, you can call your local fire department and they can come and check and do a walkthrough and give you some advice or help you install more, more, more smoke alarms. A lot of fire departments have free smoke alarm programs. You can call and see what's available in your area. Um, if you need a new smoke alarm, call your fire department. If they have a free smoke alarm program, they'll come and install those for you. Okay. Um, let's see, I'm just going to check the time. We're at 3.50. So with I a couple minutes that we have left, I'd like to just answer questions. Sure. Hi. Two things. Um, there's another thing about fire extinguishers ABC for the three different types of fires, and if you can get a combination extinguisher mm -hmm. that will do both electrical, uh, whatever, and the other two types of fires. And yep. the other thing is for evacuations, cash because we've certainly had instances uh, with emergencies where power is out also. You mm -hmm. can't use ATMs, credit cards, et cetera. So yeah, that's a great, yeah, having cash on hand. Um, if you're able to do so, a couple hundred dollars, I know that's a lot of money, but if you're able to have a couple hundred bucks, $200, small bills um, in your emergency preparedness kit that you would keep somewhere safe in your, in your home, that would be great. And again, we're talking about enough money that could last you a week or more. Um, so um, and the ABC and extinguisher, those are generally the type of extinguishers you'll find in any retail store. So, yeah. So I think that's it, unless there's one more 30-second question. Uh, what do you think about carbon monoxide detectors very fast? Yeah, carbon monoxide detectors. Um, again, in Minnesota here, they're required by law that you need to have a carbon monoxide detector within the 10 feet of every bedroom. That's not the case with every state in the United States. Um, check your local jurisdiction to see if carbon monoxide detectors are required. Um, carbon monoxide is a tasteless, colorless, um, flavorless gas that's produced as a result of, like, uh, as part of uh, like your pilot light or your gas appliances or your uh, wood-burning yes. fireplace and that. And if those aren't venting properly, 
you can have, or if there's some type of a problem with the burner on those appliances, you can have a carbon monoxide buildup in your home, which can be fatal. Um, and so there's detectors that can, that can sense that and will al alert. The other thing I just want to say about um, these alerting devices where there's carbon monoxide or, or smoke and fire, and that is there's a lot of um, new products on the market that have a voice prompt instead of a loud alarm. Um, and so if you or your service animals are really sensitive to the loud beeping of a f of smoke detector, um, you can replace it with a voice-activated one and it'll literally say, fire, fire, emergency, fire, or emergency, carbon monoxide. It'll tell you verbally what the, what the issue is instead of having that loud, annoying, annoying beep. That's great. So. That's great. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll say low battery. That's a great question. I've no, never gotten that question before. No, it'll beep in the middle of the night and annoy you to death. Yeah, it would be nice <laughs> if it did. Um, but there's a lot of great products on the on the market and different options, so um, I want to explore what would work so best for So don't we all wish we could bring Cassidy home with us? Thank yeah, you exactly. so much. All right. You've been Thank so Thank you, everybody. We Bye have now. a gift for you. We have a gift for you as a thank you. So this is a, a pen with our logo on it, and it was made by the brother of one of our members, and it's really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cassidy. This has been great. So the next presentation is Minneapolis, if you're into iPhones. If you want to stay, that'd be great. Uh, and if not, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>